So uh, as you know, we're doing four weeks kind of focused on the idea of a theology of the city. We're calling it Third and Howard. And um, the next two weeks, so this week and the following week, our entire focus is going to be on Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 4 through 7. We read it at the beginning of the service each week. We're kind of uh, rereading that passage. And uh, part of why we're focused on that passage is it's one of what I would consider the quintessential passages that speak to this idea of what it means as a gathered group of people to love, to seek the shalom, to care for, uh, to bloom where we're planted, to embed ourselves in the city. It is a passage that like highlights all of that and more. And uh, for some time, we have been wanting to speak to this idea of having like maybe a higher theology of the city, uh, of not just understanding what our role is, but maybe a bigger uh, concept of how we can participate in being a people of a place, uh, to have the kind of imagination that I believe only comes when God inspires it, uh, to know how it is we should, as Acts says, live and move and have our being and participate with uh, and be fully vested in the city. And so my goal for these next two weeks is to uh, kind of unpack this passage in ways that we kind of create a bit of a framework uh, that allows us maybe to color in the lines. Uh, I believe that each and every one of us has a calling to participate in loving the city well, but that that looks different for each of us. And so you're not going to hear Uh, a lot of exact details on how you should live out your calling in the city. Uh, I believe that you've got to figure that out individually, but our hope is that over these two weeks we create enough of a framework, speak into kind of God's intentions and ideas related to the city and being people of peace, uh, that it'll frame your thinking in such a way that you'll imagine what it is that God's calling you to. So I want to look at the passage one more time. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7, it says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build homes or houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, And give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. This text, if we're to big picture idea, uh, it is to... It's a call for us to seek the shalom of the city, to care about the flourishing of Spokane, to invest in and love and learn and desire to be a part of the city. And uh, this morning, I want to highlight just a few things that I think give us some context into what um, God is inviting the people of Israel to do, and uh, thereby, I think we can apply to our own lives uh, this particular passage. And the first idea... Uh, centers around the concept of context. We are called to be, and I think the people of Israel are specifically called to be a city within a city. So the text says this again, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem 
to Babylon. He's writing to the people of Israel or people who are in exile, people who have been taken from their place, their home, uh, their situation, their comfort, and moved into a place uh, that they didn't desire to be. They were moved into a new new location. Uh, They were moved from a place of comfort to a place of insecurity, uh, from a place of uh, what felt like home to a place in which they were foreigners and aliens and uh, it could be said that they were not from around here. And yet God makes it really clear to them that, they, that he has purposely sent them into exile, that he required them to be in this place. And in the midst of that, he calls them. He invites them to something. He asks them to be a city within a city or a people within a place. He asks them to, in some ways, make the city thrive, to participate in its well-being. And um, I want us to think about that for a moment for us. I think it's important for us to recognize that first and foremost, when we were born, we became citizens or children of this kingdom, this earth, this context that we're in. We became citizens of a land or of a place. Now, some of you, I know, were born in Spokane. This is home. This has always been home. A place that even if you left for a period of time, maybe you went away for college, that you have longed to get back and you find yourself at home. For others of us, We're transplants to Spokane. We called another place at one point home, and now we call this new place home. But for all of us, regardless of where you're born, what city you came from, what your background is, we are all in some level citizens of earth. At the same time, those of us that would say we have been born again, those of us that have uh, decided to follow and be passionate about knowing and loving God, would understand that we are also citizens of another kingdom. And not just citizens of this earth, but we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And so for all of us, we are dual citizens. There's no exceptions. All of us are citizens of both earth and of a heavenly kingdom. Dual citizens. Now... Each citizenship requires certain responsibility. So there are responsibilities that we have to earth, to the land, to the city, uh, that uh, are our responsibilities simply because we were born here uh, in this low, lowercase kingdom. But there are also responsibilities we have to the big kingdom, right? The kingdom of God. And there's this responsibility we have to both kingdoms, and we cannot in any way exclude one kingdom for the sake of the other. So let me comment for just a moment, uh, because I think this is important. The Jewish people could have easily said, uh, we're not from around here, therefore we don't care what happens here. We're a part of a different kingdom. But God reminds them of something different. And there are many times in the past that I think the church... Uh, to its detriment, has communicated in one way or another that there um, is a, not just a priority of kingdoms, because we can maybe acknowledge that, 
but almost that there is one kingdom to the exclusion of the other little kingdom. That we are to be people, and, and they've done this in a couple ways. So first way that I think that's come up is this idea of escapism. Uh, the church for a period of its history uh, would communicate this idea that the best thing you could do as it relates to either the city or to this culture or to its people is to escape and just be with a different group of people and long for the day that we're going to be in heaven. Long for the day we'd be in the true one and only kingdom. And so you heard songs like this. I heard these growing up. Uh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The implications in the song were this. Forget what's happening now. Just keep waiting till that moment comes when we can get to where we need to be. This is just a temporary stop and there is some truth to that you could say, right? But the idea was like, forget this, move on, right? Focus on what's to come. Or uh, I heard things growing up like uh, our responsibility to the earth is null and void simply because we know it will all burn and then God will ha- establish the new kingdom. Therefore, who cares if you recycle? Who cares if you do anything about uh, anything on earth? Because we only have one thing to be focused on and that is heaven. Or uh, I would hear avoid culture at all costs simply because there's nothing good in culture and only aspire to that which will be in the heavenly culture. Now this, I would suggest, is really opposite of the narrative, right? This is opposite of what Jesus would often communicate. Uh, His teaching would go something like this. You are a city on a hill. You are a people that are required to have your light shine so that all men may see and know that I am God, right? He's, he's not saying, hey, save this for a later time. He's not saying, escape the situation you're in. You are a city in a city, and you are a beacon of light to the world. So be that in your place, in your context, among your people. He says that in the Sermon on the Mount. He also says in John 17, this is the time where he is praying the, what is often called the high priestly prayer. It's his grand prayer over the church. And he communicates, God, don't take them out of the world. Allow them to be in the world, but protect them while they're here. Help them to be not of the world, but in the world. Help them to be present where they're at. And again, it wasn't about escapism. It wasn't about just being citizens of one culture or one kingdom. It was very much there are two kingdoms at play, one getting the priority, certainly, but it both have responsibility for us to live out. I think the church also highlighted uh, what would be considered dualism. So they uh, almost had this, it's either spiritual or it's worldly. And it's one or the other, and the two shall not mix. And, and you would see this highlighted, again, I, I might not be speaking about your past, I'm for at least for this moment speaking about mine, you would hear certain uh, ways of being describing the way you live. And so, for example, certain jobs are more important than other jobs. I mean, it's great to be a firefighter or the teachers that we highlighted this morning, but certainly, I mean, you would understand you're second-class citizens to missionaries 
to um, anyone doing like worldwide ministry, anyone doing Christian vocation. So if there, there were these tears to the way we lived, there were tears to the sins we committed, some being far worse than others. There were tears or expectations to uh, the way we lived in the city. And uh, so if you had to do something for someone in the city or do something for a Christian, if you had to do something in your neighborhood or volunteer at church, it was always church, God, spiritual that would win over any investment in the city. And again, I believe this is really uh, quite far from God's uh, intention. It's quite far from what he was communicating to us from even the very beginning, um, you see in, in the narrative of the scriptures this understanding that for all of time, God's desire for his redeemed world included cultural responsibilities. It invited us to participate within a city and within a place. You even see that at the end of all times. Revelation 21 and 22 speaks to this idea that God's fully realized redemptive end of all things is a city with walls and gates and people and diversity and streets and beauty and nature and peace and productivity and all of it together in perfect shalom. And so it's where we started and it's where we're headed. Tim Keller even speaks to this idea of not having a a dualistic mind when he says this, God's directive that Adam and Eve rule over the earth in Genesis 1.28, is often called the cultural mandate. This is a call for them to image God's word in the world by taking up our work in the world. It is a call to develop a culture and build a civilization that honors God. Gardening, the original human vocation, is a paradigm for cultural development. A gardener neither leaves the ground as is, nor does he destroy it. Instead, he rearranges it to produce food and plants for human life. He cultivates it. Every vocation is in some way a response to and an extension of the primal Edenic act of cultivation. Before we ever received the Great Commission, we received a call to rule and to reign and establish God's goodness and kindness to cultivate the earth, to be responsible for it, to invest in it. That's always been part of what we've been called to. That is why creation care and ecology is important. That's why climate change is a spiritual issue and not just a social or political issue. Because these are the very things that from the beginning of time, God has invited us to as dual citizens. I was reading in this um, study this week, Nelson makes this statement, redemption does not change our participation in culture. Rather, it changes us and therefore the character of our involvement. Which means that for the people of Israel at the time in the text we're looking at, and it means for us today in our particular context, that what God is inviting us to do is to be a people of place. And uh, the next two weeks is really us asking the question, what does it mean for us to be rooted here? How do we do this well? How do we live on this corner and invest deeply in people and in systems and in relationships and in the social and the economic and the political, like correctness and rightness and wholeness? 
of this city. And so I want to suggest two things this morning that I think the text highlights uh, or ways that we can perhaps live this out. So the first one is this. Uh, Put down your roots or live in the city. God's first command to the people of Israel, and one that I believe he echoes to us, is this. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. What God is asking them and what he's asking us to do is to invest in the city, to live in it, to be citizens of it. Like whenever, whenever we say this is our city or this is our home, what we are inevitably saying is a, we have this tenacious commitment to increase the deepest well-being of this city. That's our desire. That's our call. And so he asks them to build homes and to plant gardens. Now, when you think of homes in this context, uh, don't think of him suggesting that you build a home simply for safety, uh, not, not just simply to put a roof over your head or to have a place to dwell. What is being communicated in this context is this, that you are to have a home because you want to take up residence, that you want rootedness in a place, that you want to make the city a place of dwelling, that you want to build credibility and connection. He's almost asking them, don't just be renters with a temporary mindset like, man, as soon as we can get out, we're out. He's suggesting plant some roots. He's suggesting investing in a particular way. He then goes on to say to plant gardens. And again, um, don't have in your mind that when you have your nice house that you built, that his intention was like raised beds and uh, some landscaping to kind of furnish the outside. Uh, The hope was not that. Uh, Planting gardens was really about economics, It was saying that uh, you're going to be employed in this place. You're going to contribute to the society. You're going to pay taxes. You're going to have a job. You're going to do that job for the general well-being of the place in which you exist. And so building homes and planting gardens wasn't just about homesteading, right? It was about a deep and personal investment of resources and energy and time and emotion to a particular place. So that means we have jobs in the city. We dine in the city. We have our kids live in the city, go to school in the city, participate in the activities that we integrate and become a part of the ethos of the city. And part of why I think that's so important is because as we understand context in many ways, is everything. Part of the very demonstration of Jesus in coming in the incarnation was to be located in a place among a people and to be invested there. He could have easily have fulfilled his mission from afar. He could have easily just spoke words and everything would have been fixed. He could have easily like, just showed up in the city every now and then for revival. Uh, has some tent meetings, speaks a message, heals some people, and then is on his way. But he dwelt among a people 
for years and years and years. He grew up. He had teachers. He had friends in the neighborhood. He probably had people that picked on him for always being right about everything, right? He, he probably had situations where his brothers were like angry at him and hated that he was always right. They, his parents probably disciplined them when they shouldn't have, right? I mean, there are all kinds of things he experienced and that he did, that he participated in, but he was in a place. And the reason I think that's so important is because, and I'm sure you're aware of this, and so this is just a reminder, but there is no single one way to express the Christian faith that is universal. You, you cannot in any way declare the good news to someone in a way that is true for everyone, everywhere, in every context. Anytime you use language, you've made the gospel contextualized. Anytime you use an illustration, you've made it contextualized. Anytime you're with someone present and you even begin to communicate in a space and in a time you must be cognizant of the fact that you're in a context. I, just, I saw Leif this morning. He's back from Siberia. And um, make sure you catch him afterwards. But even as I'm looking, I was looking across and I saw him this morning and I thought, absolutely, context. If he communicates the gospel the way that I know he communicates it here, because Leif was faithful to live out the faith in this city before being sent by us as a community to another city. When he gets there, if he was to communicate the gospel in the exact same way, or if he was to wear the exact same clothes, well, first of all, he would have died because when it's minus 40 in Siberia, there's no way that he's going to exist, right? He has to, everything about his life dives into the culture and the context of those people for the sake of the gospel. I remember, uh, many of you probably uh, know this, some of you don't, but uh, for the time I was on sabbatical, uh, I had the privilege of going and living for a month in Chicago. And uh, I, as you know, through the internship, I go there every year and we kind of study the city and uh, we use it as a laboratory of learning and it's an incredible experience. But we specifically wanted to go there to be a people in a place for a period of time. Uh, one of those reasons, uh, as many of you know, uh, I have a daughter that's African American, and I wanted to live in a context in which my daughter was not the minority, but that I and the rest of my family were the minority. And so we lived in a context where I remember like we would go to the Y. Uh, to work out, and we had this uh, membership, and we walk in, and on the first day, they kind of thought we were in the wrong place, and we're like, no, no, we're just transferring our membership to this location. We'll come here over the next month, and uh, they see us on the first day, and I guarantee you they thought, no way, they're coming back for day two. We came back for day two, and then by day three, they knew our names. They no longer checked us in. They just threw a towel, and but it, over the entire month, I think I only saw one other person that looked like me in the particular why and loved it. Loved that we were in a context that was so different than the context here. And every Sunday we would go to this church that's in the, one of the more impoverished neighborhoods. 
And we would be in a community that's between 90 and 95 percent African-American, and we would go to this church called Lawndale Community Church. I know that some of you have probably heard of that church. Coach Gordon has been the pastor there for 30-plus years, uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal ministry. And um, we would go, and we would sit, and we would worship, and we'd participate, and we'd be in that place and in that time and what I loved was hearing the story of that place. Coach Gordon, when he graduated from school, decided his calling was to go plant the church and decided it would be that neighborhood. And so he planted himself there. He put down the roots. He had his kids go to the school with less than 50% graduation rate. I think it was around 35% graduation rate when his kids started going. He would live in that neighborhood, he would eat food in the neighborhood, he would participate in everything, and when they decided to start the church, this is how they decided to do it. They walked into the community, they started meeting people, and they asked this question, and one that I think we also should ask, and that is this, how will people in this place know that they were created in the image of God? How will they know that they have worth and dignity and value and purpose? After doing survey for a little while, learning and meeting people, they started church. And church was, they built a laundromat. And that was it. And they would hang out in the laundromat, and they would meet people, and they said, clean clothes. We'll have people feeling more dignified, which will have people doing more in the city, which will mean we're caring for them, and we'll subsidize the cost. And that's how we'll start the church. And after that, they started getting to know people. And they're like, what else do we need? And then the neighborhood said, well, we have nowhere for teens to go after school. There's no gym. There's nothing. So he had a garage, and he took everything out of it, and he put a weight set in there. And he's like, I don't even really, I'm not even good at weights, but we'll do it. And he started just inviting any and everyone. Well, if you want to go hang out in my garage, we'll lift some weights. And people started coming, all these teens and then after that, he built more relationships with parents. And then after that, it was like, well, maybe we actually should gather as a group. We have a group of people. And then for the last 30-some years, they've been just continuing to invest. We have a health clinic and a gym that's about a full city block now. And they have restaurants. And they have an after-school program. And they have a youth center. And they have a hip-hop church, and they have, and it just keeps, literally seven to ten city blocks are the church. I think the question we have to ask ourselves when we think about being present and putting down roots is, are we really being faithful to the calling that we have if the only thing that's changing is us? If we show up and the only thing we're worried about seeing is any different is that I love God a little bit more or I look a little bit more Christian or I participate in a few more Christian activities, uh, maybe we're selling ourselves a little too short. The calling is to put down roots, to flourish, to participate. Here's the final idea. To be long-haul people. The text says this, have wives and sons and daughters and let them have sons and daughters and then let them have sons and daughters, right? 
That's what the text is communicating. Now, there's lots of ways we could look at this. You could talk about the importance of relationship, the significance of family, uh, how to be a unique set of people within a city. Uh, All of that is true. But one of the things that he's commanding them here in this very moment is to settle in for generations. That you're going to be here, and then you're going to have kids, and then they're going to have kids. And so at least for three generations, you're in. Participate. Be here. And these things might be implied more than stated, but the more I was thinking about that particular idea, two concepts came to mind that are required to actually be long-haul people. First one, I think, is the idea of surrender. Now, again, this is an assumption of mine. The Jewish people had no desire to be there. We kind of know that throughout the history of being in exile, right? Again and again, they long to not be present. He's telling them to be present, which I believe in one way required them to surrender their agenda, their plans, their desires, their hopes. He's saying settle in for the long haul. You're here. Commit to it. Be a part. Be invested. Build into the ethos of the city. That is a difficult thing to do at times. It requires you to be committed over the long haul. Uh, this, just this last week, I was hanging out with uh, Mark Terrell. Many of you know him, um, leader, of, founder of Cup of Cool Water. And I'm hanging out with him. We're talking. And uh, every time Mark and I get together, um, one of the things I love about him is he will at some point just kind of vomit on me about the difficulty of being in the line of work he's in and the challenge he sees in working with teen, teens that are homeless. And then every now and then, I will also vomit on him and say, man, there are days that I just want to quit. There's days that life's tough. We all face that, right? We all feel that. We all experience that for a myriad of reasons. And we'll have these conversations. And uh, Mark said to me just this other, the other day, he said this, you know, Russ, people have asked, he's been at a cup of cool water for 20 plus years now. And he said, people ask me, how do you invest in these kids for that long and see them over and over and over cycle back into poverty and homelessness and addiction? And, and he said uh, that every day, just about every day, he says to God, I want to quit. Every day he also confesses to God that he wants to kill someone that's either abusing his teens, or that is just destroying the city, and he is angry about it. And then he said, every day I say to God, okay, so can I? Like, can I quit? Can I stop now? Can I be done? Can I move on to a different job? Can I? And every day God goes, nope, do it again. Another day. Stick with it. Keep going, right? And so then he said, and every day I just have to surrender. I have to say, it's not about me, about what I want. God will pour new life and energy into me. He will allow me to invest deeper and longer. So I think we have to be people of surrender, but I think we also have to be people who are okay with disappointment. People who are okay at times with not finding success in the way we would imagine it. I was reading in uh, Jeremiah 36, a few chapters over. There's this fascinating story that I'll close with. In, uh, in the text, it describes Jeremiah being given a vision or a command by God 
And so Jeremiah is told to take 30 years of his life to think back on that time and everything that God has told him and to write it down on a scroll. And so he obeys. And for a year uh, minimum, some suggest two to three years, he dictates and writes a scroll of all that God had asked him to kind of download for the people. Imagine for a moment that you put two to three years of your life into something you're creating, you're investing, you're pouring yourself into. And at the end of it, God asks him to go to the temple and to have it be read. And so he goes and he reads it. And I don't know exactly if it was he that read it or, uh, or the person who ended up transcribing it, but the scroll is read for the whole community. And in that temple, there were some of the king's men that heard the scroll being read. And so they informed the king, and the king asks for the scroll to be taken to him and read before him. And I can imagine the church, I can imagine Jeremiah, I can imagine others going, yes, finally. Like it happened. Like could you imagine doing something for that amount of time, pouring that much of yourself into, and then being told that the mayor is going to understand about God or the governor or the president even, and that there, there would be people who would know, people of influence would know what God desires for his people to live out. And so there probably was an excitement. The scroll is brought before the king. And the scroll is starting to be read. And as the individual reads it to the king, the king grabs a pair of scissors or a knife. And he walks over to the scroll and a part's read. And he cuts that part off the scroll, gets it, and throws it into the fire. Waits, lets the next section of the scroll be read, comes over, cuts it, throws it in the fire. And he does that for each section, thereby saying to the whole city and to all the people present, I could care less about this and don't believe it's from God, and he burns it. Now, again, you, you could imagine him saying, like, God, you, you asked me to do that thing. And that, that's what you wanted? You wanted it burned. You wanted it thrown away. You wanted to be done with. And then, here's the killer of the whole story. God comes back to Jeremiah, and the first thing he says to Jeremiah is this. Do it again. Write it again. Start from the beginning and write it again. Think about it. Again, he's got to be saying to himself, two and a half, two and a half more years of this? I'm going to write it again just for someone to burn it again? Ain't no way. I don't want to do that. But that is part of, I think, what it means to be committed to the long haul. It's going to be painting part of the building and then having it graffitied and then wiping off the graffiti and painting it again. It's going to be meeting someone on the street and spending time with them and calling detox. And then just happened to me a couple days ago. I'm sitting with a guy underneath the bush right out here and I'm calling detox and I say, this is the guy's name. And the guy on the phone on the other end goes, oh yeah, I know him. We'll send the because he's known by name at detox. And now he's known by name here. To be a kind of people that are okay with saying, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. And we'll do it again. 
And that's part of what I believe it means to be a people called to a place. I told you about that church in Chicago. The um, pastor was asked one time, what, by another church planner, what will it take to see God do something like this in our section of the city? And the pastor said this to the aspiring young church planner that's my friend. He said, uh, well, in 15 years, then you'll probably just get started. So let me know how it goes. Buckle up. Stick in. Good luck. That was just like 15 years from now, you'll begin to see a little bit of fruit. So hang in there. And that's our hope for this community. Hang in there. Keep investing. Don't quit. Be a part of the city. Plant roots. Next week, we'll talk about more of what that looks like. Let's stand. We'll do a benediction together. I'm just going to read it, but um, it'll be on the screen. The community, this is uh, my prayer for us as we depart. Go out into the city and plant gardens. Go out into the city and build homes and lives. Dream dreams, pursue visions, and speak of God's goodness and generosity. Live lives of humility, of peace, and of grace. And may our God, who breathed life into creation, be your delight. May Christ Jesus give hope to your dreaming, and may the Holy Spirit set your hearts ablaze with a passion for shalom. We pray this in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great week.